stumbled across the honest pod with Carrie Garcia, where my hope is to create a safe space to share stories that foster healing, hope, and the honesty needed to live free and fully alive. And now for this week's episode of the honest pod. Honest Pod, you just get me today. And I kind of have this feeling that you're going to start getting just me a little bit more. Now, we're going to be doing interviews and stuff still, but I just feel like I just feel like it's time that I I start sharing a little more of my heart. And if I can be really honest with you, okay, when we started this podcast, my sister and I started this together. And for some of you OG people out there, you're like, yeah, I remember I've been there and it was wonderful and it was great. And then when she had to step down because she was pregnant and all of that business, I started doing a lot of interviews because I kind of was like, okay, what do I do and how do I do this? And what's the vision? What's the vision now for the honest pod? And I've loved doing the interviews and we're still going to do some interviews for sure. But I think somewhere along the way, I kind of lost, it's not that I lost direction or vision. I just think that I really lost like, um, maybe, maybe everyone's just going to want to hear from everybody else and I can become this interviewer. And here's the deal. I think I'm a great interviewer. I think I'm fine at interviewing. I don't, you know, whatever. This is not what that's about. But I think that I kind of was like, well, if Shara's not here and it's just me, no one wants to just just hear me. <laughs> and I feel, honestly, I feel like the Lord has been inviting me into, there's a lot that I want to share with you from my heart and what God is doing in my life. So I think that in this process of the Honest Pod, which has been a journey of just developing what this is, and, you know, the questions of like, God, do you want me to get rid of it? Do you want me to still just do interviews? Do you want it to just be me? And this is a note for all of you out there. You can create something. And the question is, are you willing to pivot when the Lord wants you to pivot? Are you willing to move into a different direction when you've been going in a certain direction the whole time? And, and and the question is, if you hold tightly to something that you created from the very beginning and you're not willing to pivot, it's going to, it's going to choke out its goodness. It's going to not be able to grow with you, which needs to happen. And growth means change, right? So I say all of this because I just really feel like I want to spend some more time with you, um, me and you. Like I just want to spend some time pouring into you from my heart. And we'll still, like I said, still bring, we still have some wonderful interviews that are coming up. But I I believe that God's inviting me into sharing a little bit more personally and just more in a training sense from where I am and what I believe God is putting on my heart to give to you. So today you get just me. Okay? You just get me. And the great news is, is that we've started recording this like where it's video recorded. So it forces me to have to actually put makeup on. And well, let's be honest. (laughs) 
that just means I'm putting makeup on today. That doesn't mean I'm always going to be putting makeup on because the reality is this is the honest pod. And sometimes you just need to know I'm coming honest and it's with no makeup. Um, but it's been kind of cool to know that like you can see my face and it's just one more step closer to us connecting a little more. And I, and the truth is, is that gosh, we need connection. I mean, it's interesting because I just did a retreat this week and it's kind of what I'm talking about today. Today is what, like the title of today is really the risk of being known, the risk of being known. And it is risky being known. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. And I went and did a retreat this weekend with my freedom movement staff. And it was very interesting because we've done these retreats before. We've done retreats before where uh, it's like our volunteer base, and but we haven't done a retreat for our staff because there's been so many moving parts for almost four years. And Freedom Movement's been around for like 10, but that's a big chunk of time. So we have all these new like coaches. We have a spiritual direction, a spiritual formation director. We have a counselor. We have these coaches. We have strategic teams. We have just all these Freedom Movement's growing. And it's just so amazing. But because we're all remote, everyone's remote, which is the really we haven't been like this for most of our organization there hasn't been this sender of like connecting in proximity, like in the room. And you think like, what's the big deal about that? Because we're connecting all the time online and on Zoom, but there is a difference. <laughs> and we were in this retreat this weekend and I just got this sense that everyone is tired and not that they're not able to work and not that they're like tired of working. It's, it's deeper than that. And maybe you sense this too, like, like there's a weariness in our bodies, a weariness that is carrying the weight of the world. It's almost like we're joining in with the earth and the earth is groaning. It's, it's letting us know, you know, I I'm, I'm weary. I've taken a lot of beatings and I just feel like collectively as, as a world, we're weary. and that weariness, I think is for many reasons, but I think a lot of that weariness is from this kind of sense of individualism, isolation, one person pinned against another person, and, and it's taking its toll. So it's very interesting coming into this retreat with everybody who has, who loves Jesus, who's loves people, who's ready to sit in the hard stories. And, you know, you would think like, oh, that would make someone tired. They're not tired in, like I said, in from working, they're just, their bodies were weary. And it was a very interesting, the very first day as we were kind of doing worship together and praying together and the Lord just kind of spoke let this be what it needs to be. Don't make it something. Don't try to make it something bigger or try to coerce something, you know, some kind of emotional response, if you will. Just let it be. And by letting it be, I mean, we did a solid two time the first day and half of the people went and just napped, which how beautiful is that? because there's a weariness. So this got me thinking, I want to kind of bring you into my life a little bit. I am, I was 
I think I was growing up an extrovert, like wanted to be around people all the time, never wanted to have like a a time alone. That was never my jam. I just wanted to be with people all the time. And, and, and there was beauty in that. So I think I was an extrovert. And then I think now I've become an introvert, but here's the deal. I actually don't know. I have no idea if I'm an extrovert or an introvert. Here's what I do know. What I do know is I love, I love being with people and I really love being alone. (laughs) So I, I don't know what that makes me, but who cares? Here's what I know is that being with people makes me come alive and I love it. And being alone fills me up and I do both of them. But I have had a tendency for the past probably 10 years to be more isolated and more alone because my job requires me to be pouring into people. And this has actually, um, in the past about two years, brought up a lot of, um, it's not weakness, but it's brought up a lot of feelings like I need people more than I'm letting myself need people. So the title of this is The Risk of Being Known. And this asks, this asks the question, why is it so risky to want to be known? And the natural answer is, well, we've been hurt. And we've been hurt, so, you know, it's like I don't want to let people in. But there seems to be a deeper thing than that because the truth is, is as much as we have been hurt, we still long to be known. We still long to be connected to. But man, does it bring up so many issues, so many questions, so much heartache, so much perceived heartache, so much risk in being known. And yet we can't fight it. We can't fight the desire, the longing to be known. And for me, I think even looking back on my younger years, I'm like, was I an extrovert and that was just my natural propensity or was I so desperate to be known that I would just try to find it in any place that I could? Because the truth is in my home, I don't think I felt very known. I don't think I felt very seen. I think I felt like I was annoying. I think I felt like I was too much for my mom, like too much energy, too much, too much, right? And I think I felt like in other places, I was never enough, which what a, what a freaking war, right? So find, trying to find myself and wanting to be with all of these people all the time really fed this like need to try to find myself. So was I an extrovert? I don't really know. Was I an introvert? I don't really know. I, I don't think I knew myself. Now, the naturalness of me as a little, little girl was all about just delight and fun and being with people. That feels very true. That feels very natural. But it began to get very twisted over the years. And something began to happen as I went in with groups of people and as I began to connect with groups of people and wanting to like you know, be friends with them, be popular, be liked, be known. It was like, as I got closer, the reality was they, they didn't really like who, 
who I was. That was my perceived feeling. And so I would move from friend group to friend group. I would try to find new places where I would kind of fit in and I would I would do whatever I could do to fit in with that group. And some of you have heard me speak before. I mean, I had been everything. I was everything from like the, I tried like the cheerleader route. I tried the the drugs route. I tried, I mean, I was even in like my, my group of friends when I was uh, in, I think like freshman year, it must've been freshman year. I was in three quinceañeras because, and they would tell me you're Mexican by association. And I had like this big giant, like we used to call it in the eighties, hair bear hair, where it was just like giant hair (laughs) and like black lip liner. Um, but like red lips and this really thick eyeliner. And I was like, I wanted to be Hispanic. I wanted to be, I wanted to fit in with this group. And after a while, it just, you know, it's not, there was never any like big blow up, but it was like after a while, it didn't work. I wasn't finding myself. I wasn't feeling known. So I went on to the next group, you know, and the next group and the next group. And I find that that got exhausting. And so I started to turn inward. And that inwardness really drove me to just kind of being in my own head and my own mind where it felt safer. No one was going to hurt me. Now, every once in a while, especially when it came to doing ministry, I would put myself out there a little bit more only to be hurt again, only to have this person that sees me. And this is my perception of me. People really liked me from afar like oh she's really she's really shiny and she's she has a lot of giftings and she's you know i can siphon some of her giftings or ride some of her giftings or i can you know come alongside some of those giftings but when they got close and they saw who i really was the brokenness of who i really was they left they didn't like it anymore it was messier than they anticipated or wanted to be around and so they would leave And this would be a recurring theme in my life, ongoing for a very long time. So what do I do? Turn inward. I'll pour out to people. I'll speak from a stage, which is very isolating, by the way. I will do trainings. I'll do all the things I was doing. I'll be a mom, but I will live inside my inner world. And here is where we have the war because I still longed for connection. So what do I do? We have all this data that tells us when you connect with others, you're going to get hurt. They're going to leave you. They're going to betray you. There's all this narrative, but here's the hardest part is we still long for it. We still want to be seen. And the truth is, is that's because it is ingrained within your DNA. It's ingrained within the very personhood of who you were created to be. It is to connect and be in community with other people. And so we are always at war because we are fighting against our neurological, biological makeup to connect. And it's crazy making because we actually don't want to be with people because they hurt us. And in the same breath, we long to be in community. Okay. So I'm reading. So those of you who are in my close knit circle, you're going to start laughing at this because 
I'm obsessed with trees. Okay. I've gotten obsessed with trees. I'm reading this book right now. We'll put it in the show notes. It's a most delightful little book. It's called The Hidden Life of Trees by Peter Walben. Walben. I don't know. It's really weird last name. W-O-H-L-L-E-B-E-N. Walben. Um, and I'm, I just picked up this book. I'd heard about it from John Mark Comer and a side, like he made it in this little side comment. And then I just had this like prompting in my spirit to get this book. Now I don't normally read books like this. I normally read books like brain talk and the desire of the soul and redeeming heartache and all these different things about the psyche and whatever. Um, and you know, spiritual development. And yet this book just kept like calling to me and I was like, a book on trees? I mean, okay. I mean, I'm a little out there anyway. So this, it's not a far stretch, but this book just started to open me up to God's creation. And I knew in scripture that we are created to, you know, we are created that it's not good for us to be alone. I I understand this in a biblical context for human beings. But what I don't think I fully understood is how connected really God makes even creation, that he makes creation so connected to itself that they depend on each other for their livelihood. So I, I'm going to share some scripture today, but before I do, I want to share this little, it's like two paragraphs from this book. And, and I want to read it to you because it has made me, now this book is fascinating on all how it connects to, how trees connect to each other, how they actually um, sense danger and let others know that there's danger around them. It's crazy. It's just wild. But here's what I want to share about what it means to have kind of this social security, this area in which we are, or which trees are deeply needing of each other. And not just the strong ones, but how the weak ones or the perceived weak ones help each other. So I'm going to read a little bit of this, and then I want to dive into really what scripture says about this whole idea of risking being known and why it's so important to our healing, to our health, to our joy, and even what it means when we experience sorrow in that and how that helps us heal. So it says here uh, in this book, The Hidden Life of Trees, when trees grow together, nutrients and water can be optimally divided among them all so that each tree can grow into the best tree it can be. If you kind of help, quote unquote, individual trees by getting rid of their supposed competition, the remaining trees are bereft. They send messages out to their neighbors in vain because nothing remains but stumps. Every tree now muddles along on its own, giving rise to great differences in productivity. Some individuals photosynthesize like mad until sugar positivity bubbles along their trunk. As a result, they are fit and grow better, but they aren't particularly long-lived. This is because a tree can be only as strong as the forest that surrounds it. And there are now a lot of losers in this forest. Weaker members who would once have been supported by the stronger ones suddenly fall behind. Whether the reason for their decline is their location and lack of nutrients, a passing malaise, or genetic makeup, they now fall prey to insects and fungi. 
But isn't this how evolution works, you ask? The survival of the fittest? Trees would shake their heads, or rather, their crowns. Shaking their head no, because their well-being depends on their community. And when they supposedly and when the supposedly feeble trees disappear, the others lose as well. What then happens? The forest is no longer a single closed unit. Hot sun and swirling winds can now penetrate to the forest floor and disrupt the moist, cool climate. Even strong trees get sick a lot over the course of their lives. And when this happens, they depend on their weaker neighbors for support. If they are no longer there, then all it takes is what would once have been a harmless insect attack to seal the fate of even the giants. Gosh, as I read this, I just, I was on the plane and I'm like weeping because I was like, man, God, even the trees like that are not, don't have a soul. Okay. And yet they are dependent on each other for life, for and, and it, even the strong ones that you would think, oh, you know, they don't need the weaker ones. No, when they get sick, it's the weaker ones that partner together to bring nutrients and life to even those bigger trees. That when those bigger trees fall, now all of a sudden there's not protection for the little trees. And so the sun invades or the insects come. There's so much more about trees, but this guy, you know, it's a fascinating book. I'm telling you, I'm very obsessed with it. But I began to think, oh my gosh, even God made trees to depend on each other. That there is a risk of putting ourselves out there, but what is the greater risk? The greater risk is when we do not depend on the tight-knit unit of a community, we are left to ravaging by vermin and insects and sun and wind. And really what this would mean on a deeper spiritual level is we are subject to the enemy's ploy. We have no defenses. We have no um, ability to gain nutrients and to gain life and to gain wisdom from people around us. We are left to our own devices. And often what the world is feeding us is you get to do self-counsel. You just need to go inside yourself and you need to gain self-awareness and you need to learn. Now, don't get me wrong. We need to take an inward look, but the Bible talks very clearly that we see through a mirror that is dimmed. It's fogged. We cannot see clearly our face the way it is meant to be seen. And so when we see only through our own grid or our own lens, which is usually a grid of pain and loss and heartache. And we don't have other people holding up a mirror or holding up our arms or coming around and protecting us or even telling us the truth that is so hard to hear but helps us become better. We may get stronger on the inside for a time being, but we will have, just like it said here in the tree book, we will have short-lived lives because we need each other. We need each other. So what does scripture have to say about this? And why is it so important for us to intentionally begin unzipping a little bit, opening up a little bit, and taking action around this intentionality of being with other people? 
It says in Proverbs 27, verse 9 and 10, it says, oil and incense bring joy to the heart and the sweetness of a friend is better than self-counsel. Don't abandon your friend or your father's friend and don't go to your brother's house in time of calamity, but a neighbor nearby than a brother far away. Okay, so what is this saying? What it's saying is there is oil and incense bring joy to the heart and the sweetness of a friend is better than self-counsel. There is time for oil and incense bringing joy to a heart. This is time of reflection. Oil and incense would be time of meditation and reflection. And we want to sit in that. But what we also want to do is we want to come alongside and have a friend enter into those places of deep awareness and deep uh, meditation and understanding of who we are are because their counsel is better than self-counsel. Because it's in self-counsel that serves as this protect, like this self-protection, but it's never going to give us the full length of the truth. We become introverted. This doesn't mean introverts are bad, but we become introverted. We become so internalized that we become actually close-minded. We become so close-minded that we can't actually see, hear the truth begin to grow. But friends, friends that come along can speak, way, speak life to us in different ways. They can use the contrast between uh, what we're hearing in our head and what they're seeing, and we can hold both of those. We have a more clear picture. What it's saying here too, in the next verse where it says, don't abandon your friend or your father's house and don't go to your brother's house in your time of calamity, that some of us, it's not saying don't go to your brother, but what it's saying is sometimes we will only look to the people like in our immediate family and they're, you know, we go like, well, I got to go talk to my brother. I got to go. But there's friends that are actually going to speak more truth, that are going to be closer to you than even a brother. And they're going to speak life into you because they actually, you know, your family, your, your parents, your, your siblings, they see you in a very different light. They see you often in the way they saw you when you were five and six, and they can't actually be subjective. And so they can't actually tell the truth. Now that's not always true. Often they will tell the truth and we don't want to hear that either, but so much more often, a friend that is removed from your kind of family ecosystem can begin to speak more truth into your life. And they're the ones that are right there close by wanting to speak life into you. It also says in Proverbs, this is a very famous verse, Proverbs 27, verse 17. It's here where iron, you got this, sharpens iron and one person sharpens another. You know, we are called to be sharpened. And if we are not in community, that cannot happen. There, like I said, there are many reasons in your story that are going to keep you from wanting to connect. And this is 100% the ploy of the enemy. And I talk a lot about this in my new book, Free and Fully Alive, reclaiming the story of who you were created to be. One of the sections is about connection with others. It's part of a larger kind of a larger uh, guide and formula to really walking in a fully alive life. It's one aspect of it, and I go into it quite extensively. But we want to live fully alive to our life 
but we want to only live in the grid of what we think, hear, see, feel, smell, taste. We go totally introverted into ourselves. We will actually never live fully alive because the fully alive life is not contingent on one mind. It's collective minds coming together, seeing the truth and sharpening each other to live awakened to the reality and the realness of our lives. It is to open our mind to the things of God and not close our mind within our own constructs and own, you know, kind of thoughts and patterns. It also says in Hebrews 10, this is talking about, in Hebrews 10, it's talking about um, all of these ways in which the Lord has um, prepared a sacrifice for us. And he, you know, that we were doing all these sacrifices on our own. And we were, you know, like, you know, in the early uh, scriptures, they had to give sacrifice of animals, but then Jesus came and now there's a final sacrifice. Those other sacrifices didn't work uh, for the long period. They were like momentary, but when Jesus came, his blood was shed boom, we are like covered. Our sin is covered. But it's saying here that we actually are going to be so subject to sin, even though we're covered by the blood of Christ, that we are going to need each other to help us heal and to help us stay away from the areas of sin that so easily tempts us and tangles us. And that is when we are in our own heads, just like it said in Proverbs. So it says here in Hebrews 10, Verse 24, and you might have heard this before, and let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together. This is in person, gather together in proximity. That's my added part, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day of Christ approaching. That we are to hold each other, to watch each other, to provoke goodness out of each other. Provoke is to draw out, to kind of entice, to provoke is to bring out goodness out of each other. That's our job in each other's lives. And if we stay stuck and we stay committed to quote unquote staying safe because of the pain on the other side, we have believed a lie. We have believed a lie that the risk of being known is going to take us out. And what I would say is actually the risk of not being known is going to be the very thing that takes you out. So this year, I actually did some really, really risky things for me. I've had a friend, some of you know who it is, uh, some of you know my friend Lisa Whittle, I've known her for like seven years. She has an amazing podcast called Jesus Over Everything. And uh, she's been a good friend of mine for almost seven years. Now, this friendship has developed over time. And seven years, that's a long time. And never in seven years have I ever done this. Now, we have gotten together for dinner. We have seen each other at various speaking events. We've voice text back and forth to each other. She lives in a different state than me. Um, so we're not readily available to hang out all the time. But this year, I made some commitments to myself. I was like, all right, I've been doing so much healing in my story that it's time to risk being known. It's time to put myself out there. So I picked up the phone and I said, Lisa, listen, I'm going to get on a plane 
and I want to come see you. I'm going to come for 24 hours. I can get a hotel room or whatever, but I would love to just spend some time with you. And she was like, great, come on, let's go. Now, that doesn't seem like a big deal. For me, it was so risky. So risky because one, she could have been like, uh, I'm busy or, you know, kind of brushed me off. It's also risky because for 24 hours, I'm just going to sit with this woman that, you know, we've gone to dinner before for like two hours. You know, we've been at speaking events, we've done voice texting, but 24 hours, like, what are we going to talk about? What, what are, what's my agenda? And so it's funny because I showed up, she actually offered me to stay at her house, which was so delightful. She has like this little Airbnb on her property. Actually, if you need an Airbnb in North Carolina, in um, Charlotte, this is adorable. Plus she has a whole training facility that you can rent out. Uh, It's great. Go check it out. I can't remember what it's called, but we'll find it and put it in the show notes. Um, But it's like, it's like live at the Oaks retreats or something. I can't remember. Anyway, so she has me stay on her property and we're hanging out and we're talking. She, we go on a walk together, you know, we're kind of talking about things and, you know, we're just hanging out talking and the night, you know, it moves into the night and we're still talking. And the next morning we get up, we go to breakfast, we're still talking. And she asked me this question finally. It's like, you know, midway through the second day, I'm going to take a flight that night. And she looked at me and she said, Carrie, can I ask you a question? Sure. Why did you come here? And it wasn't mean. It was just really like curious. And I said, well, I am tired of not being known. And I am tired of not risking with people that I believe that God has put in my life. Now, I was slow to do this, and I took a lot of time to make sure that I could, that she was trustworthy, that I could trust her with my heart. So this wasn't something I just like jumped into, you know, I was like, oh, I met you yesterday. Let's be best friends. A lot of us do that. And then it goes, it goes crazy. But I took some time and I said, you know, I've made intentionality this year that when, when God puts me in circles with people or in, or in relationship with people that I feel are trustworthy, I'm just going to risk. Now, could, could she have been like, could it have gone, not gone well? Could it have been super awkward? Could it, could she still have been like, Carrie was too much and, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to connect with her again. All of those things could be true, but I'm tired of living my life fearing being known and in turn longing for being known. I'm tired of it. And so I just was like, you know what? I'm putting myself out there. And that's what I told her. I said, I want to be known and I want to be around people that do similar things as me. I have things I'm wrestling with and I I need some women in my life that can speak into my life that I trust and that can tell me the truth. And some of that conversation that we had in those 24 hours, she really challenged me. She offered some things back to me that I really learned from. And I'm so thankful for it. And I've been doing this for the past, since January. 
I have made intentionality. I put myself in a small group. It is the first time I have been in a small group in 15 years where I wasn't leading. 15 years. And it was hard because my natural bent of protection, hear that, is to control, is to lead, is to um, lead from a place where people don't have to get to know me, but I can really pour into them. That's protection. And so I showed up. I was like, I'm going to do this small group. Now, I wasn't able to make it to a lot of them because my schedule's crazy. And what I realized is I haven't done small groups in a really long time because my schedule is so crazy. I'm just, it's not, it's not routine. So I couldn't go to a lot of them, but I did go and I was challenged because the leader called me and I called her and I was like, I don't think I can be in this group. I can't stop leading. I can't help myself. The stuff we're talking about, like, I just want to help. I want to hold space. And she said, I love that you're holding space. It's beautiful. And we're learning so much from you. And then she said this, but would you let us hold space for you too? Bring all of your knowledge, tend to all of these hearts, but would you let us tend to you? Ah, so good. I was like, you know what? Yes. And that next week I showed up and I shared not from a place of it being a lesson or a place of I'm going to help everyone, but truly from a place of unzipping a little bit and going, okay, this is a little bit about what's going on with me currently. And they did beautiful. They held the space beautiful. Uh, Like I said, I just went to a retreat this last weekend and it was with my staff where I am the leader. I, I am. It is my role. And yet I chose to unzip a little bit and share a little bit about where I am, come vulnerable in my prayer, let them pray over me, which is, you know, seems like that should be fine. But it's, it's very, I get very like, oh my gosh, like it's too much attention on me. I need to like focus back on them or whatever. And I just was able to receive. Look, I say all of this because. There is a deep risk. There's thoughts and narratives that go through my mind when I risk, why would they want to hang out with you? She's such a busy woman. She's got too much going on. Why would she she want to be, you know, why would she want to take two days, 24 hours out of her life to stop and be with you? All these negative narratives. The narrative when I'm in the small group that if I, you know, unzip a little bit, they're going to see me as weak. The narrative in this retreat where it was like, man, if I show my vulnerability, they're not going to trust me as a leader. All of this is a lie. And yet I have data to back it up that when I have put myself in these places, a lot of those fears that I have have been true. So what do I do? I continue to risk because to be known and to find places where you are known, heal parts of you that you will never be able to do fully on your own and dare I say, even fully with God. Because God intended for us to need and connect with each other. I mean, good grief, he did it with trees. (laughs) He lets us know that even trees, and don't even get me started how they talk to each other. It's a whole thing, guys. It blows my mind. It's just phenomenal. Uh, But even trees, even trees depend on the weaker ones and the weaker ones depend on the stronger ones. They need each other. 
And when they don't have each other, their lives are shorter. They are not lived to the fullness of what they were intended to live for. And this speaks the same for you. How much greater for us that bear souls do we need to be in connection with each other? So when I ask you about the risk of being known, I ask you, will you be willing to continue to put yourself out there, to show up at that next small group, to come to one of my trainings in person or online, to show up a little more and risk being known. Even though you have data that tells you the potential here, the statistics here are that I'm going to get hurt. And yet, what happens if and when You show up in places that are safe and you begin to feel known. I'll end with this. In our retreat that we had this weekend, we'll do these annually now. But the turnover at Freedom Movement is beautiful because people tend to heal and then they start stepping into their calling and they start things. And it's amazing. It's just mind-blowing. We have story after story of women who have come through our program and men who have come through our program. And then they begin to like maybe serve with us, volunteer with us, or even work for us. And then they go on to become counselors, run their own businesses, have their own callings. And it's beautiful. So the turnover tends to be kind of a lot. So I don't know if next year, those same people that are on staff with me now will be on staff. There'll probably be a few of the same, but there might be turnover, especially because we do internships and volunteers. And what's beautiful is in that moment, I risked being known, even though I know this will probably, in this particular circle, will probably not be long-term relationships. It probably won't be. And here's the truth. Some of them might even hurt me. Some of them out there, when I go into other places, I might and probably will again experience rejection. But what I can know now, as I've done the work of healing, as I've moved into the places of my story where there is awareness, but the Holy Spirit has come in and begun to heal and I've allowed others in, I now know that even when there is pain that comes, it is the pain that still lets me see how good it is when it is good, when the connection is good. So you have to be intentional about this because intentionality will bring about the results you want. But to be in unintentional about this area of connection, I promise you, will lead you into isolation. It just will. And it's said right here in Proverbs that to turn inward is going to bring about heartache. It is where iron sharpens iron that we become the best. To forsake the meeting together means that we actually forsake our, our, our good works, our, our good desires, our, our places of goodness in our life. And it keeps us and it keeps the like, sin and the things that we're struggling with at the forefront so that we can see and, and not be bound to it. But when we're by ourselves, we are subject to being bound to the places of heartache and sin that we can't even see in our own lives. So even though I know harm will come, risk, uh, rejection will come, heartache will come because people are flawed, the risk of being known will 
always be better than the risk of not being known. Always. Because it's how you were wired. So I encourage you, my friend, what intentional action will you take even this week? What coffee date will you reach out to and ask for? What small group will you sign up for? What um, friend that you haven't seen will you just, you know what, I'm going to use my points, I'm going to put some money, and I'm going to fly and go see them. I'm going to go. I'm going to do it. I'm going to plan that girl's retreat and I'm going to invite a few friends uh, that I've been wanting to do, but have just been too nervous. Who will come? Nobody's going to want to do it, but you're just going to put yourself out there and the results are not going to be what you're dependent on. It's the obedience and the desire. And I believe God honors that. So what will you do this week? One small thing, just one. Don't get overwhelmed. You don't got to take on all, you know, don't go crazy, but just one thing this week where you will allow yourself to just unzip even just a little to say, I am going to step into the longing of my heart and I'm going to test the waters a little bit. I'm going to see if this person or this person or this retreat is a place where I will let myself just be seen even just a little. I promise you it's in this place that you will experience more healing and more of that free and fully alive life that you long for. It's part of the reclaiming of who you were created to be. We do that with others. I love you so much, friends. I am so glad we're on this in this journey together. It is from the honest places of our hearts and the honest longings that the Spirit beckons us into places of challenge for our healing. I love you. We'll see you next week. We are so thankful for the talented Tanya Godsey offering her amazing music with us. You can find Tanya on Spotify and other streaming platforms. And hey, we would love to answer any questions you may have for us right here on the show. So you can send us those questions to hello at thehonestpodcast.com. And as always, thank you for letting us share about the not-so-easy stories that make us and entering into the honesty and courage it takes to love who you were created to be. So until the next time, friends, may God's love and kindness be an offering to your heart, both now and always. <laughs>